African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Great, just like that intro says that uh, this is the talk show that covers everything uh, on the African continent. You are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, I'm Benjamin Mushatama on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on shortwave, online on www.channelafrica.co.za. As I mentioned, yes, we do cover everything from environmental issue to socioeconomic uh, uh, topics. Today, we're going to look at environmental issues once again look at uh, a really great conference that took place on wildlife crime last week where African leaders met to come up with strategies to combat illegal trading of wildlife we'll look at that but we have Onel and standing by to give us our news taking a look at your headlines Nigeria's military battles a dangerous tribal militia that could grow into a terrorist group. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni blasts the lack of reform at the United Nations. And a hospital in Syria run by South African charity organization Gift of the Givers is bombed in an airstrike. The military is battling a dangerous tribal militia that could grow into a terrorist group in the central Nigeria. The Nigerian army says 32 suspected militants have been killed and soldiers sustained various injuries when a militia opened fire on troops during weekend raids by the Special Task Force in Central Plateau State. Residents suggested the attacks were to avenge the killings and multinational of six soldiers last week. The military says the reports are totally false and a part of a smear campaign against them. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni has blasted the lack of reform at the United Nations and blames a Security Council's decision that allowed military action in Libya for the chaos that has affected large parts of North Africa. In a keynote address to a, at a meeting in the General Assembly on strengthening cooperations between the UN, regional and sub-regional organizations, Museveni took the opportunity to lecture members on the complementary required for the world to see tangible and positive results in efforts of peace and security. The crucial decisions of international peace and security within the Security Council are mostly taken by the veto-wielding members. This is a big mistake and has already caused a lot of harm to Africa, like in the case of Libya, where Africa's opinion was ignored. Hence, the present massive human hemorrhage in that area. If the Security Council members 
that took military action in Libya had listened to the voice of Africa. The present chaos in Libya, Nigeria, Mali, the people who are dying in the Mediterranean Sea from the African shores trying to get to Europe could have been avoided. Somalia's al-Shabaab militants have stormed a police station in the country's semi-autonomous region of Puntland and killed three policemen late last night. Several militants from the Islamist group were also killed during the brief siege of the police station in Yalo village near the port town of Bosaso. Al-Shabaab's military spokesperson confirmed the group's involvement in the attack and said it had killed five police. Al-Shabaab, which has linked to al-Qaeda, has frequently carried out attacks in Somalia and neighboring countries as it seeks to impose its strict interpretations of Islamic law and overthrow the Somali government, which is backed by Western donors and African peacekeepers. As a hospital in Syria run by South African's charity organization Gift of the Givers has been bombed in an airstrike. Government warplanes reportedly fired a missile into the field hospital. Several people have been injured. The hospital treats about 10,000 patients monthly. Finally, Senegal will send over 2,000 soldiers to Saudi Arabia to join Riyadh's military coalition battling rebels in Yemen. This said the request of Saudi King Salman. Foreign Minister Mankiw Ndiaye made the announcement in a speech to the National Assembly but has not specified when the troops would be deployed. Ndiaye says Riyadh originally asked Dakar to contribute to the Saudi-led coalition at the beginning of last month. The Saudi-led coalition launched airstrikes against Iran-backed Shiite Houthi rebels and their allies on March 26, after they seized control of large parts on the country and advanced on the main southern city of Aden. Now recapping on your top stories, Nigeria's military battles a dangerous tribal militia that could grow into a terrorist group. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni blasts the lack of reform at the United Nations and a hospital in Syria run by South African charity organization Gift of the Givers is bombed in an airstrike. Channel Africa News. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. We want you to interact with us if you can on Facebook. We've got a Channel Africa page there. On Twitter, we've got two handles for this program, at Channel Africa 1. And we have a Twitter handle for African Dialogue, simply titled, at African Dialogue. Or you can actually SMS us your views on uh, plus 27823259055. Now, a meeting that looked at combating the illegal trade in wild fauna and flora in Congo, Brazzaville last week made significant progress in the development of the African Common Strategy, which will be finalized and submitted for adoption to the African Union later in the year. Now, the International Conference on Illegal Trade in Wild Fauna and Flora in Africa also pushed for countries on the continent to take a leading role at the United Nations General Assembly on UNGA in introducing 
raising the resolution on wildlife crime. So really today, we're going to look at uh, initiatives that are being made in terms of combating wildlife crime. And to help us on this topic, we have on the line Paul Harrison, who is from the United Nations Development Program, and he's the Global Advisor on Wildlife Enforcement. And we also have uh, Pearl Pelham Jones, uh, who is the chairperson of the Private Rhino Owners Association, and David Newton is from Traffic, and he's the regional director for Traffic East and Southern Africa. Now, I want to start with you, Paul Harrison, looking at uh, this particular conference, the International Conference on Illegal Trade in Wildlife, Fauna and Flora. Tell us a little bit about the significance of this conference, especially this year. Thanks very much. Well, the conference produced the first draft of the Pan-African Strategy to curb uh, wildlife crime. Excuse me. This is the first time that African nations have come together to build a continental vision around tackling illegal wildlife trade. So the strategy is expected to be reviewed at the African Union Summit to be held in, in Johannesburg in June. And this is a stronger African voice and it's a common approach. So I think it's very important at the moment that uh, Africans have, have, have come around this, this issue. And Paul, staying with you, in terms of uh, looking at some of the issues that were highlighted during this uh, discussion at Congo Brazzaville, what were the main themes that were covered and what were some of the breakthroughs in this particular conference? Well, I mean, apart, apart from the fact that it, it is leading to a stronger um, collective African voice, the main issues really were to understand that this is uh, illegal wildlife trade is, is effectively the, the theft of the public good for many African nations. So African nations are missing out on on revenues, on, on tax dollars and so on. But also that to get a better understanding of, of, of issues around community development, um, livelihoods, around uh, integrating cross-border policing, uh, customs issues, shared customs uh, collaboration, shared law enforcement. Also working more with destination markets to reduce the demand and, uh, and better understand uh, the supply chain. Mm. And also, how important is this African common strategy? Why is it so significant and why now? Well, you know, we've seen, we've seen quite a few conferences in the last uh, year or so. We've had, well, there was a conference in London. There's been conferences in, in, in Kasami, uh, in Paris, and so on. I think what's different about this is it's more than it has been more than just a conference. Having an Africa-wide strategy that is ratified by the AU, it sends a very strong message from Africa to the rest of the world that Africa takes this issue seriously. It also provides a framework for African countries to develop national strategies. Some have them already, some still uh, yet to be developed. So it's a framework for a common idea of, of how to tackle this problem. Mm. Now, let me move to David Newton. And uh, David, I want to know a little bit more about traffic. Tell us a little bit about your organization so just our guests oh, and our uh, listeners can also understand what uh, traffic does. Yes, morning, uh, Benjamin. Thank you. Um, well, traffic is the wildlife trade monitoring organization. Mm. Uh, we, uh, we examine wildlife trade and the impact that that trade has on species survival. Um, uh, let, let's say we're not anti-trade, we're not pro-trade. I think it's, it's a case of, of uh, uh, making sure we understand all the dynamics of trade and any uh, effect those dynamics are having on species survival. Um, so we're very much uh, working towards sustainable use uh, and, and so on. Um, so that, that's very uh, briefly is, is what traffic does. 
Yeah, and, and also that's interesting in terms of uh, looking at uh, uh, the protection of uh, wildlife, especially on the continent, because we know that illegal trade is one of the main problems. But I wanted to look at this particular issue because what interested me about this conference, it wasn't just fauna but flora. I think there's a lot of emphasis on rhino poaching on the continent and illegal trade of that. But how big is uh, uh, the illegal uh, trading of uh, other species in terms of let's look at wildlife like let's look at fauna and let's look at flora because sometimes we really focus on rhino poaching in terms of illegal trading david newton how 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 rife is it on 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 the continent um well it's it's an enormous uh, industry the illegal trade um we have to say as well that it's uh, um there's also a perfectly legal trade in, in these commodities um but yes rhino elephants tend to uh get uh, most of the attention um, because their populations are under such pressure at the moment. Um, but uh, equally so, I think uh, the timber trade in the region is enormous and, uh, uh, well, I, I can say a lot of it is illegal, but we don't actually uh, know exactly how much, uh, mm. but there, there's, there's a big illegal trade in that. And uh, then you have other medicinal uh, uh, species, um, you have pangolin trade, uh, that is impacting, we think, on, on wild populations of African pangolins. Um, directly as a result, again, we think, because of the, the declining populations of Asian pangolins. And, uh, uh, and so, yes, the, the, uh, the impact that Asian demand is having on Africa's resources, of course, is uh, very much responsible for driving this trade, um, the illegal and the illegal uh, trade. Mm. Now, that moves me to Pelham Jones, the chairperson of uh, Private Rhino Owners Association. And now, we know that rhino poaching is uh, uh, a thing that is a big problem, and it has been highlighted by the media, as I mentioned, uh, questioning uh, David Newton. Do you think that now that we know that this problem is an ongoing one, books have been written, it's actually in the public forum, people are more aware of this, but do you think that in terms of um, implementation that governments on the continent are doing doing enough to deal with the issue of rhino poaching? Well, you know, clearly, the if one looks at the scoreboard and the, the losses that we are, are, are suffering, uh, we uh, need to do a lot more. And the question you ask me is quite a complex one because mm. it has to do with transnational criminal activities. It uh, has to do with um, government uh, policies as well as um, intergovernmental actions, in other words, the relationship between, let's say, South Africa and a neighboring uh, country from whence um, large numbers of, of, of poachers are, are, are targeting a, a national uh, resource. So it is, it is hugely uh, problematic for us. Mm. And also looking at the issue that was highlighted by Paul Harrison, I mean, he spoke about the issues of creating an environment where there is kind of a common goal, uh, strategies that uh, highlighted such as the African common strategy that actually we see a more collaborative uh, approach to dealing with these problems. Do you think that will uh, help and assist issues, uh, uh, Mr. Jones? Undoubtedly, um, we do not have the luxury um, of being able to squabble amongst ourselves and adopt differing positions, let's say, at, at psyches. We are all suffering um, a, um, the plunder of natural resources. Um, and as a uh, responsibility to future generations, 
um, we as, as a, um, a united African continent need to stand up and make our, our voices heard. I mean, we're in a situation mm. where we have, uh, first of all, what I refer to as a tripartite uh, detrimental impact. In other words, we are losing um, rhino. Uh, in other words, there is an asset loss. We have ever-increasing security costs. It doesn't matter whether you are in Kenya, Uganda, or South Africa. These are common. Um, affected to that are adjacent communities who all fall in, or many of them fall in, what I refer to as the dollar-a-day communities. In other words, they are not getting any meaningful um, reward or beneficiation from certain of these key uh, species. And, of course, the third and most important is the species itself, in this particular case, um, rhino. So rhino are uh, being uh, driven out of, of existing um, habitat and call it range states uh, across the face of Africa. We estimate over 100,000 rhino have been uh, poached in the last 30, 40 years. Some 23 range countries no longer have rhino. If one looks at the rhino populations in some of those remaining countries like Uganda, Tanzania, etc., they have fallen um, terribly. In Uganda, I think, have got some 13 white rhino left. Tanzania have certainly got less than 100 rhino uh, uh, left. I'm referring to the black rhino. So, yes, it's time South Africa stood, uh, sorry, Africa stood together, and I, I welcome this platform. Mm. Uh, coming back to you, Paul Harrison, very concerning statistics that are coming from Pelham Jones there. But also, what is also very much uh, concerning there is the issue that he's highlighting. There's little resources really to mobilize initiatives to actually protect wildlife as well because the budgets are going up. But really, when you look at the resources in the industry itself, it's very difficult for people to combat uh, the uh, problems that they're dealing with on an everyday basis. In terms of the issue of resources, where are we as an African continent? And does the African common strategy actually compensate for that as well and include the issue of how we can mobilize ourselves as an environmental uh, community to actually uh, resource ourselves to deal with these problems? Yes, the international community is really stepping up its efforts to um, to combat wildlife crime. I mean, you've seen... Um, uh, illegal wildlife trafficking companies, as I said, you've seen Obama standing up uh, with an executive order, you've seen China taking a strong stance. And more than that, you're seeing the donor communities um, outside Africa getting very interested in this. There are a number of new initiatives um, soon to be announced. Uh, UNDP is certainly putting forward quite a, uh, an extensive program of work in Africa, which will be tackling illegal trade but also be uh, uh, tackling broader issues such as uh, community development, um, governance, um, protected areas, and so on that are all part of the broader response. Mm. So but there is money coming on online um, from, from outside Africa. I think within Africa, we also need to see more, um, and we are to some extent, we need to see more prioritization of, of, of governments on this issue, recognizing this isn't just about environment ministries or um, or wildlife uh, parks and so on, but it's actually an issue of governance, issue of, of, of tackling crime, and it's, an, and it's, it's a threat to, 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 to national revenue. So I think we'll probably see a little bit more, um, and I hope we will, certainly, a more, more focus from African governments on, on paying for that um, and seeing that it is a larger problem. In terms of the strategy, um, 
there's going to need to be national strategies that fit into that, and, mm-hmm. and UNDP mm-hmm. is, is, is amongst many that are interested in finding ways to support that. Mm-hmm. We started doing so with Tanzania, and we're in discussions with others, but with UNDP is, is only one of many players here. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The time right now is uh, uh, almost uh, 20 minutes past 11 o'clock. It's actually 20 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. And uh, you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to our shortwave service into the continent. Online, thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today, we're looking at uh, the conference that took place last week, a pivotal conference titled the International Conference on Illegal Trade in Wildlife, Fauna and Flora. And on the line, we're speaking to Paul Harrison from the United Nations Development Program. He is a global advisor on wildlife enforcement. And we also have the chairperson of the Private Rhino Owners Association, Pilham Jones. And joining us is Traffic. And uh, we have uh, David Newton from uh, uh, that organization. And he's the regional director of the Traffic East and Southern Africa region. We're going to take a quick break and continue with this discussion with our guests. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and you are listening to African Dialogue. And uh, today we're looking at uh, really combating uh, wildlife crime, and uh, we're looking at the International Conference on Illegal Trade in Wildlife, Fauna and Flora. And uh, really, it was very important because, as we've been mentioning, it really was uh, really making uh, significant progress on the development of the African Common Strategy in order to combat wildlife crime and we know that this strategy will be submitted for adoption for the African Union later in the year and it will end up at the United Nations General Assembly in introducing the resolution or really uh, fast pacing the resolution on wildlife crime. So on the line we have Paul Harrison who is uh, from the United Nations Development Program who is the Global Advisor on Wildlife Enforcement and also we have uh, Pelham Jones the chairperson of the Private Rhino Owners Association. We earlier on had uh, uh, David Newton, the regional director of traffic in East and Southern Africa, but uh, we've just uh, let him go right now. But I also want to continue with uh, our guests just to uh, continue this conversation in looking at this uh, very important issue. Uh, When it comes to uh, issues of uh, uh, rhino poaching, coming to you, Pelham Jones, I know that... uh, uh, 
this might not be an area that you might uh, be very much uh, uh, working with. But we, we know there was a time where elephants were being killed for their tusks. And it seems like uh, that particular issue is no longer coming into the forefront of uh, where, where environmental uh, media is talking about. And we're not sure what's happening in that regard. And I'm not sure if we are winning the fight against elephant poaching. Uh, do you know anything in, in that regard, uh, Mr. Jones? Pilham, are you there with us? I think that uh, we've lost uh, Mr. Pilham Jones. But let me move back to Paul uh, Harrison from the United Nations Development Program. But I want to look at this uh, process of the uh, African Common Strategy on combating illegal trade in wild fauna and flora. I know that uh, African states have declared 20 points of declaration. Do we know the major and most important parts of that particular document, Paul? Well, what's so interesting about the documenting about the document? Well, are you uh, okay? Are you there with Is us, there, Paul? You can continue. Yes, I am. Yes, sorry. What's encouraging about the, this document, this declaration? Um, well, there's two documents that, that, that we need to be aware of. One is the strategy, which is now being which is now being reviewed, mm. and will go to the to the AU for 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 ratification. The other is that there was a clear declaration that came out. Um, which is which is a fairly common approach in, the, in these kind of conferences. But what was what was good about it was that it came out with a very um, a very conscious uh, position on on recognizing all these other conferences. I think recognizing the the hard work that has been done uh, at the international level in, in in London, in Paris, in Marrakesh. I mean, there's been quite a few conferences over the last year because in, in Botswana and Kasane only in March. And so recognize the development of, uh, that came out of those from, from for interaction. I think the main thing that comes out of these declarations and also also came out of Brazzaville um, is around cohesive action, international co- uh, cooperation, um, more, more focus on, on, on uh, cross-border policing, working together, customs, law enforcement, more international engagement with, with destination markets, Asia, North America, Europe, and so on. Um, but also a, a strong recognition that we need to focus on communities and, 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 and recognize that there need to be better benefits for communities around wildlife and forest management than, the, than there are at the moment. This is the kind of thing that UNDP supports, and, and so we were happy with, it, with, with the nature of that declaration. I just want to look at that issue of working with those communities, especially when you look at indigenous peoples and, and, and local communities. How important is managing that and planning and making sure that uh, wildlife resources are actually moving into actually collaborating with people on the ground within those particular indigenous communities to actually deal with some of these issues? And I think maybe that may be key, Paul. Well, look, I mean, you know, it's a balance. It's, it's, it's a balance between um, uh, one or two individuals um, gaining something from poaching versus a community of people who live around a protected area um, gaining from, say, tourism by not poaching. And that's a tricky balance that we have to work with. Um, but, but ultimately, we have to focus on supporting communities. If you, if you support people getting benefits from wildlife and from their forests, they're less likely to poach them. They're more likely to protect them, and it's fairly—it's fairly common sense. Um, 
in uh, Asia, we've seen, you know, the price of rivalry was, you know, it's anything between 1800 to $3,000 a kilo. If you consider that, in terms of what that means for an elephant, that's 18000 to, you know, say $20,000 for an elephant if you poach it. Now, what's the cost of an elephant? What's the benefit of an elephant to a community and to mm-hmm. a nation? Mm-hmm. Well, it could be, you know, over a million dollars in its life, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, from, from tourism. So I think it's important that we... Do we focus on looking after these uh, wildlife and we're in, in that looking after? We, we make sure we very much involve communities and then we make sure that those communities, as far as possible, get mm. some benefit from mm. that wildlife, mm. whether it's mm. tourism or elsewhere. Mm. Uh, now, let me move to Pelham because I wanted to speak about the issues of uh, elephant poaching, but I'll come back to that. But in terms of what uh, we're speaking about with Poe here, in terms of collaboration with local communities and indigenous peoples, how important is that, especially when it comes to the fight against rhino poaching in itself? Uh, how do we deal with that? Because I've been told and I've heard in documentaries that some times what motivates uh, the uh, working together with these uh, syndicates is that uh, people are living in very uh, poor communities. How do we work with these communities to address some of these problems, Pelham? Pelham, are you there with us? I think we've lost uh, uh, Pelham there on our lines. And, um, uh, uh, are you there? All right, fantastic, Pelham. Uh, we were just talking about the issue of uh, collaborating with uh, uh, indigenous peoples and local communities in order to, to really curb wildlife crime and, and how important is that? Because sometimes the people living in those communities are really colluding with their syndicates because of the poverty in those particular areas. What can we do as, as the environmental community to actually... Uh, work with those particular communities. Um, Benjamin, this is David Newton. I'm. I'm uh, oh, David Newton. Can I, oh. I can answer that question if you like. Yeah, you can go for it, David. I apologise for that. I thought you'd left us. I was told by our producers. Apologies for that. Um, well, look. Uh, I, I think from our perspective, uh, community engagement is is really important. Um, but we're looking here at holistic solutions and. Uh, uh, communities are one player in this whole field. Uh, I think we also have to speak with the people that are trading. Uh, you have legal traders, you have illegal traders. Mm. And, uh, regardless of who they are, we, we need to make sure that they're part of the solution. Mm. Uh, so we need to look at what, how we source that, uh, that resource from within the region. We need to make sure that uh, the appropriate value comes back to the people that live mm. and, and uh, harvest that resource. Um, we need to be speaking as well to to the people that are consuming that resource mm. because they they are obviously creating the demand. Mm. And uh, any any solution uh, that that we come up with has to uh, has to cover all those uh, interested parties. Otherwise, we're we're going to be uh, well still be fighting the same battles that we are at the moment. Where if you only have a one-sided solution, well. The other group isn't interested in that. They also want to, need to be part of that. So, yes, community is an essential part, um, but they're one of, of uh, many players that we need to engage with. Mm, very interesting. And, and also, in, in terms of the issue of uh, formal trade, because I know we're looking at illegal trade because just of the nature of, of, of the program. In terms of the legal trade and differentiating it from illegal trade, uh, how do you differentiate the two, David? Because I find that very interesting. Uh, what are the processes involved in that? Yes, well, Benjamin, I, I think sometimes uh, the, the edges get a bit fuzzy, but mm. I, I think essentially... Um, illegal trade, um, uh, 
well, the St. Nemesis Station, so it's done without permitting this uh, or against legislation mm -hmm. of the country. Um, it can also be a case that um, um, the people get around uh, legislation that might be in, in place by issuing bribes to, say, forest officers or mm -hmm. to police officials. Mm -hmm. um, illegal trade or informal trade, maybe we are slipping across that divide a little more, um, is um, where you have uh, people that conduct a trade simply informally by saying to a community member, you bring me this species and I'll pay you X amount, mm. uh, without, going, uh, without sticking to any of the formal management systems that may or may not be in place for that species or permitting arrangements. And then, of course, uh, further down the track, you have... Uh, issues of illegality when you're trying to get uh, that species out of the country. And, mm. uh, uh, for uh, rhino, of course, you need CITES terms. Um, uh, well, uh, un under some circumstances, uh, you'd export them on CITES terms. But if you don't, mm. you get those terms, and of course, it's an illegal shipment. And uh, in South Africa, I think where part of this problem started was that uh, certain hunters uh, in South Africa, hunting rhino horn, we're uh, abusing the uh, CITES system, um, uh, uh, well, yes, abusing the, the CITES permit system and, and so getting horns out of the country without complying with those uh, regulations. Mm -hmm. um, so I think illegality uh, has many manifestations. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that there's very insufficient transparency in a lot of these trade chains. Yeah, yeah. We really don't have clear insight into that, and I, I think that is one of the most important things that we need to do as we engage with the communities, as we come up with our new management systems. Mm. Is, uh, transparency has to be paramount mm. to uh, this trade system, and uh, of course that then results in greater understanding, and we can then, of course, measure the impact that, that trade has on species survival. Mm. Uh, at mm. the moment, which is sometimes very difficult to measure yeah. the impact because illegal illegally traded items uh, mm. are below the radar and we just don't see them yeah, until they appear in the consumer market. Very good point that you bring there about transparency and it sounds very complicated in terms of how do you actually ensure when it comes to trade that hey there's enough transparency who regulates it who polices it Perlam Jones your views there I know we have you back on, on the line uh, in terms of the issues of rhino poaching and that particular issue how do you Issue, I'm sure it's related to this issue of transparency. How do you deal with that whole transparency issue, Pelham? Okay, well, just to go back a step, um, okay, sure, most sure. of us uh, who got into rhino conservation okay. many, many years ago yes. at no stage ever contemplated that we would one day be involved in a debate on legal or illegal trade of rhino horn. Mm, mm, um, mm. The commercialization or trade never, ever uh, came into it. We were, we were uh, conservationists. Time has moved on, and we have this modern phenomena because of illegal trafficking where the security costs in South Africa alone um, run at some 1.4 billion rands a year. Um, you can obviously uh, have similar figures coming out of Kenya, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, etc. Mm. Um, in addition to which, we are losing, um, as you are aware, um, over 1,200 animals a year. So there's another net loss uh, there, etc., plus loss of uh, breeding and so on. So no, we, we, we say that um, a lot of what has been applied in, in, in the past is clearly not working. We feel that we need to look at a change of direction. And one of that is to utilize the uh, renewable asset, uh, the sustainable 
utilization of, of uh, a certain species, uh, and you can include in that uh, crocodile, ostrich, and so it carries mm-hmm. on and on, whereby revenue can come back into conservation. At this moment in time, the criminal, criminal syndicates take 100% of the proceeds and nothing coming back to conservation. Legalized trade would allow, and we acknowledge the fact that there will be a parallel market as there is in illegal diamonds, sale of stolen motor vehicles, and so, and, and so it carries on. But at least a substantive percentage of that revenue can come back to conservation. Um, there are a number of very successful modules that have been applied in the past that meet the checkbox criteria that you were referring to in terms of transparency, accountability, yes. uh, 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 tax controls, um, and, and so on. So we are confident that we would be able to present a, a, a module which would undergo a, uh, a strict um, analysis and, and call it peer review and of, 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 of accountability and transparency. Mm, well, I have to take a quick break and I'll come back to you, Paul Harrison. I want to hear your views about that particular issue in terms of uh, actually legalizing rhino trade and actually being able to regulate it. you listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us here on, Ch- uh, on our program, uh, African Dialogue. It's 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter th- band to Southern Africa. That's our frequency. And uh, if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. Let me take a quick break. We're going to wrap up this conversation when we come back. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's almost 38 minutes past 11 o'clock. Uh, we've got a few minutes left of our program. And today we're speaking about uh, uh, the issue of wildlife crime coming out of the International Conference on Illegal Trade in Wild Fauna and Flora last, will, last week rather in Congo, Brazzaville. And we have Paul Harrison from the United Nations Development Program, uh, Pearlham Jones from the Private Rhino Owners Association, and uh, David Newton from Traffic. And it's very interesting, some of the themes that we've covered in this hour and I think we've covered a whole lot of dimensions indeed but Paul, uh, Palam Jones was highlighting the issue of legalizing the issue of rhino uh, ivory, uh, in terms of that, what, what are your views, how do we regulate that? Well at the moment I think, I think the priority and certainly that's uh, a priority from, from UNDP is to fight the illegal yeah. trade because I think everyone, whether you're taking a utilization or a non-utilization approach, has that has that in mind. I mean, the priority is to stop illegal trade, to stop criminality, to stop um, collusion, to stop stop the corruption around it, the, the issues of wildlife trade. But clearly, Paul, I think from that has to be addressed mm, as the number one issue. Mm, but Paul, clearly, from some of the numbers that uh, Mr. Pelham Jones highlighted, we're not winning that fight. Uh, well. I think we, we, we have to continue uh, with the fight. We have to be aware that this issue uh, internationally and in Africa is, is only really emerging into the mainstream media now. 
um, it has been uh, it's, it's been important for a long time, and, and uh, but I think it's only now that this this is concerted effort. New finance, as I talked about before, is only just coming online now. I think what's important here is that there are no silver bullets. I mean, Africa is a big continent. Different countries have different approaches. Mm-hmm. I think whatever best practices are emerging here mm-hmm. need to be shared with countries across Africa. It's vital that advanced countries who or countries with advanced le- legislation or advanced thinking on this should share the lessons with others. It may only just be beginning their battle against poaching. So and UNDP, our approach is to maximize the possibility for what we term South-South exchanges, so linking between you know, South Africa and Kenya or Tanzania and Zambia and so on and so forth to try and make sure that these different countries are, are really understanding what the best practices are, what, what, what works and what doesn't work. So these are the kind of things that we have to do alongside the ongoing work we need to be doing on the ground. Mm. And, and that's an interesting point where, as we wrap up, and I think let's explore that. What can we do? What more can we focus on as um, a, a continent? And we've highlighted some of the themes, but I just want us to wrap it up in that sense. David Newton, to really deal with this wildlife crime issue, what do we really need to do? What do we really need to intensify? Um. Well, I, I, I think we have to continue using all the tools that we're currently using. Mm. Um, uh, I think, as Paul says, um, legalized trade is, is simply one of many tools that could be used. Mm. Um, and I think we, we have to look at, at innovation. Uh, we have to come up with, uh, with new ways of, of doing what we uh, are doing at the moment to, to counter the illegal trade. And... Uh, um, I, I, I think um, engaging a lot more with uh, our Asian counterparts, I think one of the big outcomes from the meeting mm. was uh, a commitment to engage far more with the Forum for China-Africa cooperation. Mm. And uh, I think that's an important step because all our African uh, colleagues and countries need to work with our Asian partners uh, because we're, uh, we're in this boat together. Mm. And uh, so I think... Uh, Maybe not the most important, but one of the very important uh, things that we need to work on mm. uh, to counter the threat. Mm. Pilum Jones, I don't know how I would feel if I was passionate about rhinos as much as you are and seeing some of the statistics that you mentioned earlier on. And I have to ask this question to you now and say, hey, how do we uh, deal with this? How do we win this fight? What would your answer be? Well, I agree with the comment made by Paul, and that is that there is no such thing as a silver bullet. And certainly, it's, we are going to have to look at a multifaceted approach where one looks at um, uh, demand reduction through education in end-user countries, um, better law enforcement, uh, greater um, international political intervention. And, and, and by no means least in that list is the role and importance of, of adjacent communities. They have to see some degree of role, ownership, and beneficiation. We all know the um, anticipated population growth um, through the face of Africa, and increasingly you're going to have conflict between human needs and that of of wildlife population. So that has to be balanced in a manner that communities see wildlife as an asset and not as a short-term financial opportunity. So it is highly complex, and it certainly requires a unified trans-African policy to, to, to find a, a long-term working solution.
Mm. Paul Harrison, I'm going to let you have the final word. We still haven't covered industrialization and, and those kind of issues. Uh, how do we deal with that in, in terms of regulating that, especially around uh, conservative or, I mean, uh, rather wildlife areas? Well, look, I think you know, if, we, if we think in bigger development terms, this mm-hmm. is, from the UNDP perspective, it's a development issue. Mm-hmm. I think we've got to make sure that we make this at the heart of, uh, of development planning. Uh, and this is about governance. We've heard that. It's about um, community benefits. It's, it's, it's about enforcement. It's about livelihoods. We have to make sure that, um, first and foremost, we tackle the, the issue of... Um, the illegal side, and then we look at this, this multiple range of options that we have ahead of us after that. I think that's the priority, and then I think more broadly governments have to realize that wildlife, the forestry, uh, is, is, is for the common benefit. It's not just an individual benefit. Mm-hmm. Put in place as much, uh, as many uh, mechanisms as possible to ensure that in the long term uh, biodiversity is protected. Well, thank you so much to Paul Harrison, and uh, he is uh, the Global Advisor on Wildlife Enforcement at the United Nations Development Program. I also want to thank Paul Ham Jones, uh, who is the chairperson of uh, the Private Rhino Owners Association. And I want to thank uh, From Traffic, the regional director of the Traffic East and Southern Africa region, David Newton. And I think uh, it was very comprehensive, and we dealt with so many uh, parts of this particular program. And I thank you all for actually joining us and just giving us uh, some of the main issues in, in this regard. And I think we had a very productive conversation in this particular hour. Thank you all for joining us on the program. Thank you. Pleasure. Fantastic. Hey, it's always great to do this program. I think sometimes it's kind of like one of those things I feel like uh, a blessed to do because cover so many things at an hour and uh, we get blessed to be able to do that. But hey, we want to also hear your views. So let us know what you think on our program. Uh, if you're listening to us online, if you're listening to the uh, streaming of this uh, program online, just want to hear what you think about our conversation. Plus 27823325905. That's our SMS number. Maybe we have some ideas on how we could actually deal with wildlife crime. And uh, hey, join us on Twitter. We have an African Dialogue page, so it's titled at African Dialogue on Twitter. That's our handle on Twitter. But on Facebook, you can join us on Channel Africa. Channel Africa is our Facebook page. The time right now is 11.45. We signed Matibula. Just walked in to give us our economics news. Thanks, Benjamin. Good morning. The High Court in South African capital, Pretoria, is hearing ComAir's challenge against uh, the government's bailout of South African Airways. ComAir, which is a franchise partner for British Airways and also operates the low-cost airline brand, Gulula.com launched the court challenge in February 2013 following government's uh, then bailout of $414 million. Jackson Camp reports. ComAir CEO Eric Venter said the court case was launched because the airline regarded the bailouts and certain other government payments to SAA as not compliant with domestic aviation transport policy or the law. Venter says ComAir wants to ensure all domestic airlines face the same risk and requirements to operate on sound commercial principles. He says Comair did not want to stop all financial support for SAA or to shut or privatize the airline, but wanted any help to be in line with domestic transport policy to minimize the impact on other operators. 
Meanwhile, the South African Municipal Workers Union, SAMU, says about 5,000 workers have heeded a call to strike in Cape Town today. SAMU's regional secretary, Michael Kumalo, says they've decided to go on strike after the city failed to respond to their grievances. Kumalo says more workers will join the strike. We are hoping to continue again with the mobilization. Issues that we are complaining about, I mean, it ranges from issues of racism. We have got incidences like a, a, a TOC where all non-white workers were given an instruction to be relocated because they complained about racism. Miner and commodity trader Glencore has reported a 9% fall in first quarter production, mostly due to lower copper grades at its Alumbrera and Antamina mines in the southern American region and the maintenance at the Kolahawasi mine. Glencore, unlike its rivals in the mining industry, has a bigger exposure to base metals rather than iron ore. The company also has a large commodity trading division in addition to its mining and oil assets. In Nigeria, Dangote Cement will begin production in Tanzania in August. It's building a $500 million factory in southern Tanzania with an annual capacity of 3 million tons. However, Dangote faces challenges in accessing coal and natural gas as a sources of cheap power to run the factory. Brent crude oil features have slipped towards $66 per barrel as Saudi Arabia considers halting bombing in Yemen to allow the delivery of aid. A stronger U.S. dollar also weighed on the dollar-denominated commodity. The Saudi foreign ministry says uh, the Saudi-led Arab alliance conducting airstrikes against Houthi fighters in Yemen is considering calling a truce in specific areas to allow humanitarian supplies to reach the country. A broader look now at your financial indicators. The dollar still gaining strength uh, now at 12.04 South African rents and 9.64 Botswana Pula and 7.39 Zambian Quaches. But it's not doing well against the European currencies trading at uh, 0.65 against the British pound and 0.89 against uh, the euro. Now, the price of uh, commodities, we start with gold at $1,187, platinum $1,140, a fine ounce brand crude oil, $66.35 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time now to move on and get our sports from Tamikuza.
Welcome back once again. Manny Pacquiao could face a disciplinary action from Nevada boxing officials for failing to disclose a shoulder injury before his fight with Floyd Mayweather Jr. Nevada Athletics Commission Chairperson Francesco Aguila says that the State Attorney General's office will look at why Pacquiao checked no a day before the fight on commission questionnaire asking if he had a shoulder injury. Pacquiao could face a possible fine or suspension for not answering the question accurately on a form he filled out just before Friday's weigh-in. Meanwhile, many Pacquiao will undergo a shoulder surgery this week and could be out of action for a year. Now in athletics, Athletics South Africa, ASA is still facing financial difficulties despite improvement on its program as it has been proven in the last few months. Later this week, ASA could be left without the head offices to run the sport due to a long-standing legal battle with injured athlete Jan Bligenot. The North Houghton High Court had ruled last year that ASA should pay Bligenot 10.4 million rand. This is after he had sustained head injuries while competing at an ASA-sanctioned event in 2009. Now in soccer, despite clouds of uncertainty hovering over coaches and some of the players ahead of next season, both South Africa's Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs are confident of victory in the 2015 edition of the Kalimpek Label Cup. Chiefs coach Stuart Baxter says it's not all about winning when it comes to this competition. I was just about to say it's important that we lose because both times we've lost, we've gone on to win the championship. So now look, it's a big game and it's a high-profile training game. We've not got to lose sight of that. It's early in the season. Neither team are probably the finished article. Having said that, you still want to be the old enemy. So that's about where it is. But it's more on a prestige level, I think, than a tactical, technical level. And now in rugby, South African Springbok coach Anake Mea says that he is very much impressed with the spirit showed by players during the first day of the Springbok training camp currently underway in Johannesburg. Mea says that for the World Cup squad, it's important not to change too much in terms of his personnel and consideration will be obviously be given to players that have played for the Springboks in the last three years. Um, I think, uh, you know, all these guys have performed over the years, so form is, is definitely important going into the World Cup, but you also have three years to see which guys can come through and what they can do under pressure. You know, although super rugby form is always, you know, it's always very, very important, but uh, this match rugby is it's totally different, especially the breakdown, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, and we usually face Northern Hemisphere referees. Now in tennis, Caroline Wozniaski has set up a third-round meeting with Agnieszka Rodanska at the Madrid Open. To get more, Catherine Whitaker reports. It was a story of American success in Madrid on Monday with wins for all three of the statesiders in action. US number one John Isner was first to progress with a straight sets win over Adrian Manorino, while compatriot Steve Johnson had a slightly trickier three-set win over Alejandro Gonzalez. Completing the trio of American wins was US number three Sam Querrey. He squandered much points in the second set tiebreak before winning through against rising Aussie star Tanasi Kokonakis. Elsewhere, local boy Feliciano Lopez overcame a second-set wobble against Benjamin Becker to book his place in round two, while Bernard Tomic was upset by Italian world number 117 Luca Vanni. Tuesday's order of play features a bevy of rising ATP stars, including Jack Sock, Milos Raonic, Grigor Dimitrov and Nick Kyrgios. That's the end of our sport, and back to Benjamin Moshatama.
Well, that's how we wrap up the program. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Remember, interact with us via Facebook. We've got a Channel Africa page. Or you can stream us every day from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock on www.channelafrica.co.za. We'll be back with you. Just a reminder, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. From me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless.